Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Rose. He's done well. He's found a cross. Adam Lallana. process changes, but it never stops. From the moment you walk into an academy or have that first trial and know you want to do whatever it takes to become a professional footballer, to the point of being a Champions League and Premier League winner, your decisions are conditioned by the game. What you eat, how you sleep, the lessons you learn. Football is more relentless than ever and reaching the elite level as our previous guests on Between the Lines have discussed, is becoming ever more challenging. I think it's important that people need to realise that we do have bad days at the office. We, you know, that that will happen. You know, we don't we don't want it to happen, but but it does happen. We try for it not to happen. Believe me, we work day in day out. Being at Brighton as well, the, the past three four months has taught me as well is that you know how hard it is getting a Premier League win I probably took that for granted being at being at Liverpool to walk us through his journey is a player Jurgen Klopp called one of the most influential on setting standards he has ever worked with I miss already everything about him Maurizio Pochettino labeled him special unique saying there is no other footballer in the country like him in terms of technique tactical intelligence and training application. Gareth Southgate viewed him as England's most effective link player for the longest time. All I wanted to do was play football, you know, I, I didn't really, I don't think I ever really felt that the pressure really at, at that age that I was going to make it because I was, I was always kind of ahead of the curve. So deep down, I think I kind of always knew I had the fundamental uh, attributes to become a professional footballer. Lana takes us between the lines, detailing the setbacks that go along with these kind of compliments, shedding light on his preteen days at an academy, growing into what his teammates term a training machine, all the way through to morphing into a guiding light for youngsters in recent years. So kind of it got to a stage where like I didn't really want to wait, didn't really like want to want to want to leave to, to go to training really and and I therefore had no energy because obviously wasn't eating as much then kind of didn't have the right energy to tr- to train 
and then it's then it's just you're in it's a snowball effect isn't it if, if you don't if you're not eating well enough then the, the risk of injury is obviously higher I need to score a goal ASAP because my eldest gives me such stick because I'm just not scoring every I could be playing left back or right back He's, you've not scored today why not are you going to shoot Adam was kind enough to share his time with us after training at Brighton, as well as when he got home to have dinner with his family and continue trying to house train his new puppy. So let's take it from the top. Life at an academy and how pronounced the pressure already is at that early stage. When I moved to uh, Southampton when I was 12, I definitely recognised that it went up a level there. Maybe one of the reasons was it was more travelling. It was like 40 minutes in a car and I had to go there three, two or three evenings a week um, after school, which was obviously a big commitment for my family. You know, my dad or my mum who would have to take me there. Um, and just, just the level of pressure was definitely increased from what it was like at Bournemouth. So it probably wasn't until 12, I was 12 years old really, it kind of started to get a bit more serious if that makes sense at the age of 12 then was it apparent the competition in the academy at at that stage already did you look around and think that there might be kids that are better than you or that you're definitely better than some of them it was very apparent because at that age we were in we had one age group and then we were in um they put us in three groups so you had an a group that would play every week and then you had a B and a C group that would like alternate different weekends. So the A group got to play every week. And then the B and C group had a game only every other week. So it was, you know, it was staring you at the, in the face, really, which looking back is quite remarkable, uh, really, I, I think, especially at that age. Because I remember when I signed for Southampton at 12, I went straight into the A group. But, um, you know, being in, a, in group B or C, I just think... It's just not the right thing to do looking back for kids at the age of 12. They, they don't want to be feeling that competition or that level of competition. Almost like they're not good enough already at that age. Exactly. It's, it's too young. They're too young. Way too young. You, at that age, you still need to be, you know, you're either at the academy or you're not, I think. And you're either together in one group, one age group. Or, you, you know, you're not at that level yet and you're still playing grassroots. But to kind of divide it up, I think, is a little bit too much, I think. And looking back, um, you know, probably was um, difficult for the people being in, that are in B or C group, I think. One of the other things when you're that young and in an academy setup is obviously the different levels of growth for everyone, both, you know, physically um and in terms of of technical ability and stuff is that something you struggled with mm, yeah maybe at little different points in growing up going through the age groups i mean of you know my my youngest my young um my eldest boy is eight and he he plays at the bournemouth academy at the moment and it's amazing because i'm almost like i feel like i'm like reliving my youth um say my youth career my younger years when you start playing football and and 
you know, there are just very, there are a lot of similarities. You know, you see, you see the kids that are physically far more developed at that age. Then you see the kids that are technically more developed, that are stronger and quicker or, or better with their feet. And you, for me, you can't really start judging kids at the age of eight, nine, 10, 11. I mean, until kind of everyone's physically developed all their attributes, you can't, it's, it's too difficult to start judging kids, I think, anyway. And that's why I liked, I liked it that um, when the under-23s came in instead of the reserves, because I just thought when they brought that in to the structure of the, of the youth development programme, I just think it gives them kids that are later developing an extra two, three years to, to naturally develop. So I remember being in the youth team and... Um, you know, you're very, very close to your mates in your age group, but you're, you're really, really competing with them day in, day out. And at times, it would get feisty or there'd be arguments because you're, in each, you're living in each other's pockets, basically, day in, day out. And although you're a team, you know, trying to win your matches at the weekend, you're in, you know, you're in direct competition with... Uh, with, with your teammates for a professional contract, it's as simple as that, and that that is a lot of pressure at, at such, such a such a young age. I think you know my my youth career. I, I wasn't one of the ones that were physically strong enough, or I I didn't develop um, fully until probably I was twenty, twenty one, even maybe twenty two. So I I definitely it definitely took me an extra couple of years to fully develop. I wasn't one of them that were blessed with pace or power or strength at the age of 15, 16. Um, so that's, that's, you know, one of the big things I, I took out of, of youth team football and even, even looking back on it now. Adam's back at his house now and I wanted to understand more about his personal struggle with ulcerative colitis. It's a chronic bowel disease that former Manchester United midfielder Darren Fletcher had a severe strand of and even needed to be hospitalised over several times before undergoing surgery. Here's Adam's experience with the condition. I can't remember if it was if I was 18, 19, but I was definitely um, maybe in like my second year of scholarship or third year. Um, and there was definitely there was definitely times. I remember I was still living with my mum and dad at, at their house, and used to get the train to Southampton from Bournemouth to train in. And I just remember kind of it got to the stage where like I just didn't didn't really want to leave the house because um, there was like a circumstance there there was situations where obviously you need to go to the toilet, and you know you just worry that you're going to get um, going to get caught where you don't know where one is or and then I started obviously like figuring out the pattern. It's whenever I ate, which was obviously when I when I needed to go go to the toilet, and I used to get the hor- hor- horrendous uh, gripe and belly aches, which are which are the symptoms of um, ulcerative colitis. So kind of it got to the stage where like I didn't really want to eat, didn't really like want to want to want to leave to go to training really and and I therefore had no energy because obviously wasn't eating as much so then kind of didn't have the right energy to tr- to train and then it's then it's just you're in it's a snowball effect isn't it if, if you don't 
if you're not eating well enough, then the, the risk of injury is obviously higher and, um, you know, your immune system suffers and all the rest of it, really. And I suppose that there's them similar factors have, have been the case to a lesser degree because it's been under more control, I suppose, throughout my career at certain stages. Um, so, yeah, it's, 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 it's a challenging condition and... I think I'm lucky because I think I've I've got a relatively mild version of ulcerative colitis. There's, there's people that have had to have parts of their um, their bowels removed because of it, and and so on. It'd be interesting to kind of see what what my like mum and dad's views are. I remember I definitely remember with the symptoms I was facing. My dad was really worried it would be something worse than ulcerative colitis, um, whereas. I was, I was, a, I was thinking, I didn't, I definitely didn't treat it with the right respect initially when I was diagnosed, you know, I went, I remember I got, got, I got put on course of medication and it cleared up relatively straight away. And then, you know, I'm not sure if I mentioned to you before that, um, I wasn't, I wasn't very good at taking my tablets on time. I think I had to take them two, three times a day, maybe in the morning, maybe at lunchtime in the evening. I was missing, um, I was missing times of the day when I should take it and then I'd go back into relapse and and the symptoms would uh come again come start up again so you know as I say I was 18 19 all I wanted to do was play football you know I I didn't really I don't think I ever really felt that the pressure really at that age that I was going to make it because I was I was always kind of ahead of the curve so deep down I think I kind of always knew I had the fundamental uh, attributes to become a professional footballer um it was just about you know keep working hard and 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 do do what you think is right and keep learning improving and and, th- and then it will come so i don't really remember kind of there being any big big pressures uh but obviously the schools i had in front of me was um see ulcerative colitis suffering with um I had a regular heartbeat as well when I was younger, so that that was just that was just before I um, got diagnosed with ulcerative colitis. So that they were the they were probably more that was more concerning than whether I was gonna make it eventually. I always kind of had that feeling that inner confidence that I was going to. I was very lucky because you know I had very great support from home. I had a stable family. My, my dad was was you know that I always look back and my mum and dad were absolutely perfect with me in terms of never ever putting any pressure on me even to go to training you know my schoolwork was always um more more important and until I maybe got to a certain age where um I actually was able to to drop a sub couple of subjects from school to to go into the academy one one day a week it's called day release it's I think my age group was the first year that happened maybe 15 odd years ago now. So Rovers in front just seconds after the break and with unrest spreading among the Southampton supporters, Doncaster capitalised again. Another helpful deflection from Jan Paul's size, though Coppinger was keen to claim that goal for himself. Saints fans turned their fury on chairman Rupert Lowe and Marek Zaganowski's goal in stoppage time made no difference. A stormy end of a season brewing. We got relegated from the Championship down to League One in probably my first full season when I was 21. And that was a little bit of a reality check, I think. 
not just for myself, but for a lot of people associated at Southampton. And um, I think that needed to happen. Um, so I think getting relegated into League One was probably the best thing that could have happened for, you know, not just myself, but, but the club. And that was when we had like financial problems and we didn't get paid on time. We went into administration and then Alan Pardew came in um, when we had minus 15 points and it was, he was a proper manager. Do you know what I mean? A proper um, well-known, it was a massive, massive uh, signing or employment for Southampton at the time. And um, it just gave us good structure and he was absolutely brilliant with me. And, um, you know, taught me a lot. You know, it was the first full season I kind of had under him. And, you know, looking back now, I I can't believe how kind of unprofessional I was really at, at that. And looking back to how it is now, I know it was probably a different era, say, even 12, 13 years ago. And that there's so much I would do differently in terms of just looking after myself. Um, but, you know, at the time, I thought I was probably doing things right. And it was, as I said, it was a different era. And, you know, and the change room I was in was, was different to what I'm used to now. So um, I think you always look back and think you can do things differently. On, on that point, do you find that kids coming through now, like the teenagers coming through, do they have it easier because the advances in nutrition and sports science and all that stuff is, you know, the information is so readily available and clubs have adapted so much and grown so much that they have that support? Or do you actually feel maybe there's more pressure on them now because of all these advances, because they have to be, you know, 100% professional all the time and with the social media um exposure when you were coming through you didn't have to deal with this with the social media exposure so do you think it's a double-edged sword for them sort of yeah i think a bit of both i think they've got it easier in terms that they have everything laid out to them on a plate um the, the facilities the coaching the access to knowledge um is you know, it's at such a high level now, but I do think there's more pressure on them because of the social medias, you know, they've, you know, pressures that they've got to be doing this or doing that or have this and have that or, um, and that's, you know, it's, it's an age thing. It's, it's, we're living in 2020 now. It's, it's where the world's at. And I think, um, well, when I was younger, it was, it was different. You know, there wasn't social medias. There might be, obviously there were camera phones and whatnot, but, you weren't getting videoed or filmed what felt which felt feels like now 24 7 um so so kids have got to kind of grow up nowadays so much so much quicker you know they, they've got to be they're 17 18 year olds but they're acting like probably what i was acting when i was like 25 26 and then um, you've got to grow up really really quickly and that's that's very very evident um but it's it's also a good thing, I think, because it you know it gets them it gives them a better chance of sustaining a better career at a higher level for a longer period of time. I know you are quite involved and invested in youngsters. You were at Liverpool. I know it's the same at Brighton. You do you know try and guide them. 
given the the world that we're living in now and and what we've just spoken about, what has been the main sort of tips or or advice you try to give them? Um, yeah, you say I'm invested in 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 young lads. I, I, I mean, I don't I don't see it as my job or anything like that. It's just it's just something that I, I quite enjoy doing it because I think it's come from from when I was a young lad growing up at Southampton there were uh, three or four um, players that stick to mind that you know took their time and went out of their way to um, you know in training whether it was give me a couple of tips or just kind of a bit of praise that they would give me or they'd pull me up and say I should do something slightly different and you know something so little um, what I felt like at the time them doing to me meant so much and went a long way to giving me a little bit more confidence or just helping me and making me feel kind of at at home playing or training with the first team so I don't know for example last year or a couple of years ago when might have only been last season when Nico Williams trained for one of the first times with uh, with Liverpool you know I I just kind of when I you know, made sure I asked him what his name was because I didn't know his name. Um, you know, I'm just picking this, just picking Nico just because he's just coming to my head. He, he wore Puma boots as well. And I was, you know, one of the only other Liverpool players that wore Puma. So, I, you know, I've just made a little comment like, does, does he like the boots, etc. And just a little comment like that, I know for a fact can make him feel um not a million dollars but just put him at ease and make because it's a big thing you know training with the first team for your first time and especially at Liverpool so I just always I just try to just go out of my way not even going out of your way just doing doing something to maybe feel make the young lads feel a little bit at ease because it can be daunting you know going into an environment into a training session where you don't know many people's names you know we've all been there like your first day at school and someone coming up to you and, and making a fussier and being nice to you, it makes you, it makes you feel, feel feel good and a bit more relaxed. You mentioned Nico there, which is a good example because he is still so young coming into an environment where he's not just at an elite team. He's at a team with ambitions of retaining a Premier League title and also you know, regaining a European crown. And then there's all these pressures. I'm not sure if you've seen, but he's had a lot of abuse on on social media. And for someone that is so young coming into that environment, it's quite difficult. You, I'm sure as you've evolved during your career, you've gotten better at, at shutting out the external noise. But for somebody like him, it's it will be quite difficult. Yeah, I mean, it's... It's just coincidental that I mentioned Nico a couple of seconds ago and you've brought that up because I actually remember um, watching the Liverpool game and um, I I came across it on my socials um, that he he took a bit of stick for me. He did did he might have d- deleted his Twitter or his social media and it was you know if if that's what you know young lads had to do because of. It, I remember it was such ridiculous um, scrutiny or um, opinions of these keyboard warriors. I mean, I remember 
watching the game and the, the lad didn't even have a bad game. I mean, I, I can't remember who they were playing against, but I remember watching it and, you know, he might have given the odd pass away or, but it's, you know, he's, he's a young lad, he's learning. Of course you're going to have, have bad games, you know, and um, for, you know, to see a young lad kind of playing at, at the top level for a top team, um, kind of having to feel like he has to kind of deactivate his socials or whatever is just, it's, it's sad, isn't it, at the end of the day? But he, he had to go through it, you know. It, it would have built a thicker layer of skin for himself. He would have... Um, it would make him stronger because he's going to have bad games in the future and he'll, he'll know just to, to build up that thick skin and you just ignore it and um, make sure you kind of don't give it the access or the attention it, it deserves. Um because he's he's a he's a top top player and he's um he's already shown that so far in what he's achieved in such a, a, a small period at Liverpool, you know. And as I said, he I think he, he trained with us for the for the first time last season. Um, so he kind of hasn't hadn't been training with us for like two or three years. For, for example, like you know Curtis Jones, you kind of seen him used to come up every now and again. I remember Nico just coming out of the blue was like well, I've not seen Nico before, and then training with him, been like oh who's this lad? Where's he been? It was almost like one of them, like, where's he been? Because of, you know, he's that good and I've not seen him about. Um, I think maybe a week or so later, he might've got his first goal for Wales, wasn't he? I was absolutely made up for him because obviously I was, I was aware of, um, that he had a, you know, one average game and, and apparently all the keyboard warriors are out and, you know he's he's a young he's a young boy still so he's he's not going to be used to uh reading things like that so um as i say it's it's the world we live in nowadays and yeah let me be stronger for it i've no doubt about that are you relieved in a sense that when you were finding your feet there wasn't social media around where your every mistake wasn't scrutinized by millions globally who then instantly could comment and and try and cut you down to size because it is actually quite a difficult thing to to juggle when you're at that age. No, oh, definitely. I mean, I, I worry for I worry for my kids. I mean, when I worry for the day when my my kids are going to be like, you know, I want an Instagram account. It's like I don't know where I'm going to start. Um, and that's even just in no, normal day life. I mean. God knows what I'd do if one of them's, you know, a sports person or plays football or cricket or whatever. And um, because, you know, it's, it must be so tough for a young lad and pressures or on young kids nowadays, young young girls or whatever. I mean, it's, I don't know. It's just, it's, we could speak about, have uh, debates about it, couldn't we? The pros and cons about it for all night. Um yeah, but I do agree. I think I was I was lucky that when I was coming through, there wasn't there wasn't socials because they'd just be uh, just be added added pressure times ten. You speak there about being you know worried for your lads who are obviously they want to get into football are trying the whole academy setup and stuff. How are you as a football dad? Are you? 
because obviously they're looking to you for guidance and advice because you are who you are. But at the same time, I'm sure you're so conscious of not putting pressure and stuff on them. Yeah, well, I need to score a goal ASAP because my eldest gives me such stick because I'm just not scoring. Every, I could be playing left back or right back. He's, you've not scored today. Why not? Are you going to shoot? Are you going to... It's um, it is it is funny, but as as a as a football dad, I think I'm I'm relatively good. I mean, I just try to um, kind of take a leaf out of my my dad's footsteps, really, and how he was with me, which was, you know, very very quiet on the sideline when 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 he was watching me or when I'm watching my lad, um. You know, tell tell him well done, and did you just did you enjoy it at the end of the day? Just just trying to keep the pressures off them because the pressures there's so much pressure that comes later on in the development or whatever. I think you just it's just important that they just enjoy it as as much as possible. Um, because my my fondest memories of being a kid was was my grassroots footy, and um. I think that's taken away from the kids so early nowadays because the academies, you know, they have matches on the same days and it kind of takes um, preference ahead of grassroots, which is which is a bit sad really because they're they're the best days. Even my lad plays for a grassroots team. I can tell straight away it's, he enjoys that the most. There's no pressures. He's playing with his mates, some mates from school and his team. All right, different levels, but he, he's just enjoying it and playing with his mates. Nothing serious, and it just becomes serious so so quickly. And with that comes pressures. We've heard from Adam about critique from his son, but what was it like working with some of the most celebrated managers in the Premier League? We find out after the break. the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at bowlandbranch.com. Code BUTTER Exclusions apply. See site for details. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is PlushCare. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? 
Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. This, this week, week on Stakhanov. One Direction's Liam Payne was in the studio talking to Jack Nets Happy Hour about life as a global pop star. With untold stories about his time on The X Factor, life in the world's biggest boy band and going solo, this one is not to miss. I was part of this massive machine and I knew my part in the machine very well. So I knew what I was doing every day. But then when that machine falls away and you're in the world and the world's just happening around, like, where do you fit? You can catch the full episode on Spotify. If that doesn't tickle your fancy, on this week's Football Ramble Presents, Kate and Jim sat down with former Chelsea, Juventus and England striker and football legend Enya Luco to discuss her storied career and her autobiography, They Don't Teach This. Whether it's racism, whether it's bullying, whether it's sexism, often these behaviours are silent. They're not always something that's said. It's a feeling, it's a set of behaviours by a group of people towards you that makes you feel incredibly isolated. You can hear more from Enya Luco with Football Ramble presents on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. All that and more at Sakarov. You speak there about pressures, and when you were out at Southampton and you became captain, you sort of had the weight of the world on your shoulders there was so much responsibility on you but the chairman was also calling you all the time to find out what was happening so you had you had your role as a footballer you had your role as a captain so making sure the rest of the squad were trying to you know perform to their optimum making sure everyone's taken care of on the pitch and then you've also got the chairman calling you up to to discuss matters with you and I know Maurizio Pochettino came in and made all of that stop. I know you you two have a very special relationship and I want to find out from you, apart from just ridding you of all that extra sort of stress that you didn't need, what else did he teach you that you will impart going forward? Corey, yeah, he, he, taught, me, he taught me a lot. Um, I was lucky enough to work with Maurizio for year year and a half um um yeah as i said apart from when he you know it was you know two hour conversation that we had he found and it, it just which we spoke about everything family this that the other and and it came up in conversation that the chairman was calling me and he um he just knew instantly that that was like the reason i wasn't playing as probably well as i could because it was just added pressures. I was, you know, I was basically just tr- trying too hard. Um, but I think just, you know, Maurizio also taught me just a lot about values, not not just in football, but to have in life really. Um, you know, he he would get to he would get to work at kind of seven in the morning, and he'd be leaving at like five six in the evening, and they they'd be in the office all day with the YouTube 
he just have like he just have music on YouTube playing and the, the scented smells going and he he call lots of players in at different times just for chats and how just ask you about your your family just in, he just kind of invested so much into um you as you as a human as a person and i think that's may you know that may be why also you know i, I feel like i quite like i don't want to say mentoring young players but just like helping younger younger players or and making sure they're okay because again Maurizio showed that um just by speaking and showing that he cared for not just the footballer me the footballer but me, me the person and my home life and how my kids are um you know, I remember signing signing my contract I think Maurizio had only been there a couple of months um, and I signed a new contract that the, the, the chairman had kind of sort, sorted and okayed and sanctioned or whatever. And um, we all went for a, for, a, for a meal to kind of celebrate. And I say we all, it was, it was the chairman, uh, Maurizio, Jesus, Tony and, um, and Miggy. And my mum and dad and my wife came. <laughs> and Maurizio could he couldn't speak great English so Jesus was kind of the translator but just the way Maurizio was with with my dad and my mum and just making such an effort with them and like making a fuss over them um just it, it meant so much to it meant so much to it meant so much to me because I just knew he was making a fuss of my dad because it was it was big for my dad obviously you know me meeting Maurizio and just asking him questions and um, you know, there were, I know there are managers out there that wouldn't have even turned up t- to that. They'd have made an excuse, let, especially not really speaking the language. So there was, there was so many kind of things that happened, I think on like a, on a human level, which was the reason why we were so successful in a year and a half. And he was so successful, so successful at the football club. Um, because he just spent time on on building relationships, not just with me, but with you know, go through every, every player that he worked under there, any member of staff, because they all would have been in his office and had an hour drinking tea or coffee or whatever, just just chatting. Do you think you're quite blessed with the managers you've worked under? Because you would have gained, I think, quite a lot of different things from from all of them. Oh, I'm very very lucky. I'm very lucky. I mean, I've you know, I've arguably worked with two of the best managers, you know, in world football with with Jurgen and and, Mar- and Maurizio, in in my opinion. Um, also, not you know, not forgetting Brendan as well. Um, you know, Gareth Southgate was brilliant as well, um, and it's great to see him still doing well with England at the, at the moment. But um, yeah, I've been I've been very very fortunate. To, to work with, like what you said, this you know, especially two of the you know most spoken about managers in probably being the best at what they do. You have always had quite a tactical mind, and I actually know in terms of game management at Liverpool, you were one of the driving forces in trying to you know make sure there was offensive protection and stop playing on adrenaline. Let's try to think through games more. 
given the managers you've worked with, given the fact that you have quite a tactical mind, post-football, are you thinking that management, especially given how much you like working with youngsters and, and aiding their development and stuff, is that where your mind is heading eventually? The truth is I still don't know. Um, I'm still not sure, but I'm, I'm, you know, going off... Listen, I think the last mm-hmm. couple of years at Liverpool, I didn't play so much. I felt... I felt me kind of being a, a big impact in the training, being a big um, being a big kind of personality around the young lads, kind of how we kind of created the culture that, you know, created the environment at, at Liverpool. That that really kind of stim, like stimulated me and, and gave me a, a, another focus because I wasn't playing as much. So I was training a lot and training hard. So. I think that's that did really give me, as, as I said, another stimulation that that you need as a footballer. You know, it's it's difficult for anyone who's not not getting regular minutes, um, and and that really did kind of help me and, and give me another focus. Whereas, you know, now now I'm at Brighton, I'm I'm playing a lot a lot more. I'm feeling you know as as fit as I've I've felt for a couple of years, simply because I'm playing regularly and I'm getting minutes. I kind of. I don't feel like I'm ready to kind of, you know, think about that. Yet. I want to, I want to give every, every bit of attention to me right now. And that's playing. I don't want to kind of be thinking to myself, oh, you know, what do I want to be doing when I finish? Because, you know, I'll never get these, these three, four years back. And I want to make sure that I get every, every bit out of these three, four, five years, um, what I've got left playing. Um, so I can see, I can see what, where the questions come from, and you're not the only person that's, that's asked me um, because of my, you know, the last couple of years I've shown an interest in in helping develop young players, um, and even you know, Brighton, I, I enjoy or whatever. I'll try and help a young. Doesn't even have to be a young player; just help a fellow teammate. Like you know, they they can help me if they've got a bit of advice or they see something. Um, but I really kind of want to focus on the playing football because I've not played regularly for what feels like a long time. Um, I don't kind of want to waste any energy. And in, in, um, mm. do, do you understand what I'm saying there? Yeah, yeah. No, I get you completely. Um, in terms of, of football, I think we've seen throughout the coronavirus pandemic and just I think in general this is sort of a a thing which it really shouldn't be but there's this misperception that because you guys earn very well because you're living the dream that you shouldn't be affected by stuff you know you've got an injury so what get on with it uh there's an almost robotic element to how people view footballers. You're not meant to have emotion. You're not meant to... You're just meant to turn up, train, play, perform at what people are expecting to be 9 out of 10, 10 out of 10 every week without the human elements of it, just because you're, you're well compensated and all the fame and stuff that comes with it. So I wanted you to speak just on the other side of it, on 
how you are still human you are still you know a dad a husband a son and you have all those emotions and all those feelings and you have dark days and you have difficulties still yeah for sure i mean the simplest way i think i can explain it is that you know Mel, i'm sure you have shit days at work don't you you have days where you you underperform you underperform it might not be highlighted in the in the press or you might you know you might read an article backing it or you're like do you know what i could have i could have spent a bit longer on that or i I shouldn't have put that in or i should have quoted that and it's 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 same with football football players you know you, you have training sessions where you underperform you have matches where you underperform or you made a couple of wrong decisions and you get punished for it and you lose football matches and and the only difference is between you know you having a shit day at work and me having a me having a bad day at work is you know we get scrutinized by you know not just fans but 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 media outlets or social medias and it's as i said it's just it's part and parcel of the industry so many people love it so many people are passionate about football teams and they have their teams that they support it's um it kind of it is what it is i don't think we're ever going to get in in a perfect world where there's no um you know there's there's no negativity on on social medias because everyone's always going to have opinions um so i don't think that kind of perfect world exists but like what you said we are humans and i think it's important that people kind of need to realize that we do have bad days at the office we you know that that will happen um you know we don't we don't want it to happen but but it does happen we try for it not to happen believe me we work day in day out and um you know kind of being at what being at brighton as well the, the past three four months has taught me as well is that you know how hard it is getting a premier league win i probably took that for granted being at being at liverpool um being lucky enough to you know the home record that we had or we went unbeaten last year for however long um you know it's getting a premier league win is is difficult and um yeah it's you know it's, it's as i say it's a work in progress and it's um we're gonna have to we're right and we're gonna have to feel like we're gonna have to work that little bit harder to get get over the line and get points but it's um no it, it's tough you know playing in the, in the in the premier league is tough and you you're gonna make people are gonna make mistakes it's, it's part and parcel of the of football isn't it football's all about mistakes it's how you react to them i think exactly that and all of our recent guests on Between the Lines, Pochettino, Gary Lineker, Daniel Sturridge, have all actually mentioned how taxing it is to be an elite footballer. Like you say, Premier League wins are so hard to come by. You do everything, you condition yourself so well. You know, your recovery schedule is so planned out. Basically, your entire existence is geared to be able to perform at this elite level. And and there probably isn't an appreciation or a full understanding at how much it takes to be a footballer in, in the Premier League. Yeah, for, for sure. Um, and I think that's even 
you could even probably double that if you're playing in Europe and a, a somewhat top four team, for example, because the amount of games you have is is relentless. And I think you know we're all going through a phase at the minute where there's been an increase in injuries and there's lots of debates happening about whether we should have you know have five subs and in, in the Premier League and players are the players are the ones that just get you know you know go and play another game play another game in you know three four days or you know I heard Oli Gunasolskjaer the other day you know they were in Turkey on 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 the when on the Wednesday and then they played um, they played on the Saturday didn't they at Goodison Park first thing it's it, and I, I agree with him. I don't. I don't understand why, why that needs to happen when it's 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 easy enough for it not to happen. You know, give them the extra day, put it on TV the next day, because the players are the ones that suffer. You know, they're the ones that feels like just getting rolled out every three four days, um, especially during this pandemic. Like what you said, bring the, brings the added pressures. Um, it's, it, I, I don't think it, it. I don't think it's fair. Um, you know, but you know, who, who, who am I to to say that? Uh, it's, 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 a, it's another talking point, isn't it? But um, as I said, we have seen a, an, an increase in, in injuries, and I don't think it's. There's no coincidence that it's because the amount of games that are being played. Sim- simple as that. Going back to to what we're what we're saying, I mean, normal people, as in referring to the fact that I trained in Brighton today. I came back to Bournemouth from from Brighton, which is work. You know, I went picked the kids up from school, came back from school. Um, wife made us dinner. Went upstairs, bath the kids. Read with both the kids in bed, got the kids to, to sleep, and then I'm, you know, I'm down here doing the interview. Got the footy on in front of me. It'll be half ten, eleven. I'll go to sleep. Get up tomorrow. We've got tomorrow off, and drop the kids at school. Come home. Or luckily enough to, you know, we I've got a day off, so I'll go on a couple of walks with with, with the dog. Because obviously at the moment there's not much else people can do. Do you know what I mean? So obviously lots of people are walking. Um, I see that as a pretty normal, normal enough day. I mean, do, do you agree or, or not? I mean, I'm interested is it to see what you, you think. Um, no, I, I definitely think it's normal enough. And I love the fact that you're just like, pretty much like my dad and stuff. When we wanted a dog, we just got it and he had to live with <laughs> yeah. it. He had, he had to just deal with the fact that we got a dog. So even if you're a footballer, it still happens. Yeah, oh, it still happens. Yeah, I mean, as I say, I'm I'm away I'm away quite quite a bit at the moment. A lot of the time in Brighton, so the the dog's great great company for for my wife and kids. But I, you know, I'm the one that's down here with the dog, giving it, making sure it goes out to, to the toilet its last time before before the night. And um, yeah, I seem to have all them kind of jobs really, which I didn't sign up to, but. Is it is it fully house trained yet, or is there still accidents happening? <laughs> Miles off being fully house trained, but it's, it's step by step, I suppose. 
we've started from the top reflecting on your time at the academy and I just wonder now you know given your status in the game given the fact that you're seen as a veteran which I know is is quite odd to think of how do you assess your career as a whole? I, I kind of look at my career and I look at it obviously it was built at, at Southampton and obviously made the jump to go to Liverpool and had a six-year stretch that was that was amazing. It was full of so many ups, um, even more downs, dark moments. Um, and now I've like come out of that. I say like I've come out of that, I think it's because Liverpool as a football club is so intense. It takes up, you know, every minute, every second of your day, just because, um, just because I think the stature of the club um, what it you know it's history and uh, the demands to win silverware the, the demands to perform and kind of now coming out of that it almost feels like I can you know, breathe, breathe again a little bit in, in a way not not that's, that's not meaning it in a bad way and that I didn't enjoy it because I absolutely loved it it's just different to being at Brighton it's different to being at Southampton Um and uh, yeah, I almost just feel I kind of compare how I'm feeling now a little bit more to how I was feeling when I was probably at Southampton, you know, being at a similar size club. Um, and I'm enjoying it, you know. I, I'm I, I was never ever in any doubt that I made made the wrong decision. Always knew it was the right decision, and um, it's you know it's proven right. I do feel. Yeah, do you know what I mean when I say it feels like I can breathe a bit more? Not literally, but you know, I'm I'm train I'm finished training most days at one o'clock, and you know, I've got we've got the rest of the day to maybe do something with the kids or play some golf. Um, just you know, just just it's just less intense, less intense, and in, in in a whole package. Um, less games, not in Europe, not playing international football. So it's it is it, it's less intense. Doesn't mean that don't care as much, don't want to do my job as professional enough because that that that, that isn't the case. Um, and you'll understand that. You know, there, there might be people out there that that think differently because I'm saying that, but it's not. It's it's just it's different. No, no, I I get you. Yeah, it it is relentless when you're at Liverpool. And I actually saw a post recently that said we need to stop glorifying overworking and we need to stop glorifying not taking a rest, not focusing on, you know, giving yourself some me time or allowing yourself to spend moments with friends and family because you are so geared to your career so mm. makes it makes a lot of sense what you're saying and and you've got more time on your hands now to get that puppy house <laughs> yeah. trained properly I think, I think but when when you're playing for a top club it's and I say when you say a top club or a club in Europe it's hard to find that time do you know what I mean it's 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 taken out of your hands because of the relentless schedule you've got and that's, you know, it may be a sacrifice for some. It may just be normality to others. But I think once, because I've lived it before Liverpool and now I've come and I'm living it again after, you kind of, 
you know, kind of makes you appreciate um, just just both sides of it, I suppose. Um, and you know, it also makes you realise that it is demanding playing for Liverpool. You know, seeing like what what Hendo's done for that football club and being the captain and the sacrifices he makes of his time and it's it's full on and um, that's that's why you know huge huge respect to you know everyone that plays for them teams that are in Europe and that are playing international football. I mean, I'm just watching Ronaldo again now playing for Portugal. I mean, you know, the respect that I've got for him just churns out game after game, whether it's for club or whether it's for um, for Portugal. I mean, it's, it's amazing to, that he's been, he's been doing this for 15 years. Relentless. Thank you to Adam for being so illuminating on so many aspects beneath the surface of becoming a professional footballer and what's required to stay at an elite level. Cheers to you for listening in and I hope you've gleaned a lot from this episode. If you need tips on house training a new puppy, holler at me. And feel free to share any feedback over these shows plus shout with who you'd like to hear from as a guest. Between the Lines is a Stakhanov production, written and narrated by me, Melissa Reddy. Our producer is Charlie Morgan. Our assistant producer is Natalie Wilson. The executive producers are John Teague and Luke Aaron Moore. Sound design and mixing is by Tom Wally. All music comes courtesy of Epidemic Sound. Thanks for listening. Tune in next time. This was a Stakhanov production and part of the ACAST Creator Network. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. <laughs>